Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to this edition of the John Papaloni Show. Today, I am interviewing Lindsay Sutherland, who's going to come on to the show and tell us who she is, what she does, and why she does it. The who, the what, and the why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Thanks so much for having me here. I'm excited and, and hope to offer just some really great inspiration and content today for your listeners. Um, well, my name is Lindsay Sutherland, and I I help people develop a freedom lifestyle, essentially. I like I like to help people get out of the rat race, those rebels that want to, you know, get kick their bosses to the curb. <laughs> um <laughs> But, you know, my the, my why, essentially, is short version. Uh, both of my parents passed away before retirement. And, you know, my mom, when I was really young, I was only 12. And my dad literally worked till the day he died. And he was struggling uh, in the end there. And it just it just struck me that there's no guarantee of some day. And I was, at the time, working in the automotive industry. Ouch. Very grueling, time-sucking. I had a great position and I had a great team I was with. So it wasn't like it was really a bad environment, just high pressure, you know, and they owned my time. I had four kids at, by then. And I just, I just know what it's like personally to miss out on the experiences of being with my parents. You know, growing up, my dad, even though he was a small business owner, he worked for himself. He was a contractor, subcontractor for flooring. It just never seemed like he could be there for me when I needed him. Like I, we used to have horses and I'd say, hey, dad, can we go riding? And it was like, oh, I have to work. You know, he was either chasing for clients or servicing clients, which always made me the back burner. Right. And watching that when when I started to venture into my career path, I saw myself going down the same road that he was down. And I just vowed that that was not acceptable for me in my life. Um, I, it became, yeah, have you ever read the book, uh, think and grow rich? Yes. Twice. Okay. Okay. So, you know, that burning desire, right. That, um, he speaks about in that book. And, and that's the thing that I experienced was this burning desire to live my best life now. Like I'm not waiting. And at the time, my dream was to live in a log cabin in the woods. And my husband and I had talked about the dream for about, I don't know, five or six years, every time I was having a stressful day, I'd come home, you know, we'd kind of pull this dream off the shelf, dust it off and have a little merry chat. <laughs> you know how it goes. Yeah. You have it like a dream like that. Like that's a big deal that people just don't, most people don't chase those dreams until the timing is right. Or until, you know, they finally hit retirement. And it's like, well, now that the kids are out of the house, you know, it's like, I thought to myself, why am I struggling? It felt like the best way I can explain it was to me, it felt like I was going to prison every day, which mm. I felt guilty for thinking that because I should have been grateful for my job. I should have loved what I was doing. I had a great gig. I was making phenomenal income, you know, like all the surface things were great, but inside all I really wanted was to be home with my kids. I wanted to be making those memories. I wanted to be with the people that mattered most. And every time I was away from them, it just felt like this thing pulling at my heartstrings, you know? So finally, one day we're sitting in there, we dusted that dream off again after, you know, my daughter, my fourth child, she was about a year old and the nanny had raised her at this point. And I was sick to my stomach. I'm like, I've missed every first of every baby. And I just looked at him and I said, when are we going to do this and stop just talking about it? And like, that's when everything shifted. And we started, you know, going through the motions of putting our house up, figuring out where we were going to go and all that fun stuff until two years later, we found our log cabin in the woods. And we've made a life for ourselves here in a rural town in North Idaho. We're 30 minutes south of Canada. So we're sort of neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's, um, it's just been... <sighs> It's been a fearless, scary, but worth it experience. And along the way, passive income became my focal point because as you could see, I wanted time, freedom and money. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Yeah. I didn't want to be, you know, chasing my tail 
trading time for money. And even though like I've been the primary income earner in our family all of the time we've been together, it's, it just seems like it's hard to pull away from that transition. And so I understand what it's like for people who work full time and maybe they are comfortable in their income. It's hard to make that transition. So my path has been really interesting. I've learned so much, but it's all been fueled from that desire to stop trading time for money and learn a new way to make an income. Right. Now that's the thing, right? Though it's one of those things that it can be scary, like you said, right? People are used to it, but you used to go there and felt like you were going to prison. And that is how a lot of people feel a lot of time. And, you know, how long does it take before society wakes up and says, you know, I follow the law. I don't break the law. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm providing for my family. I shouldn't feel the same as if I'm in prison. Yeah. Right. And, and it's like, and there's nothing wrong with doing what you have to do to pay your bills and to try to get ahead. But it comes right. a certain point where you got to do something, even if you started on the side, get something going. So life could be beyond that sentence. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think- so many people fail to do that. They just keep going. And you know how many people don't even make it to retirement? You know what it's and and besides that I think personally and I look around at the people I talk to and the people I meet the toll that it's taking on their bodies you know a lot of the the mental and the physical illnesses I think that so many people are experiencing these days is a result of living out of alignment with your heart's desires uh sounds easy for me to say right but it's I'll, I'll tell speak from experience okay when I was working in my career I remember telling my husband, I don't know, I can't put it into words, but I just sense that somehow this job is killing me. I, I told him that. I said the stress, I I was starting to notice that I would get sick once a year, just really, really sick once a year. It's almost like I just needed a break. And the only way I could afford a break was if I was sick, you know, because you don't get to just take mental health days in the car business. Like that's not a thing. There's no PTO. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So if I was really sick, nobody wanted me there because they didn't want to be around me. (laughs) But if you notice things, and I think people listening to this will say, yeah, I've noticed I've I've done that too. But here's what I really noticed when I actually had that confirmation that it was affecting me. The year we moved, I took a year off. We had money from our house that we sold. So we kind of were just living on our equity there for a bit while we got ourselves established. And I... I remember, and at this time I got my kids, my three boys were enrolled in school. My daughter was only three and I played with her all day. I was Susie homemaker for that whole year. And I just like, I was loving every minute of it at first until I realized that I got bored easily and I needed to like use my mind for something, but I needed balance, right? It was part of my journey. But in the middle of that, I noticed that any little stressor would instantly cause my body to go into like some weird shock, you know, like it was almost like my nerves were shot for lack of a better word. And it would be the smallest trigger. You know, I can't, I, I, it was interesting. And I thought, wow, I wonder if there's like PTSD for working. Is that a thing? So I started to research it and it actually is. It actually is. When we get used to working in a high stress situation and we always have to be on, and I know, you know what I'm talking about, especially realtors that are listening to this show, you have to always be on You have to be there to answer your phone. You have to be there for your broker. You know, it's just, you're always at somebody's beck and call and that wears on you. And you know what? We pride ourselves sometimes on dealing with it so well. I used to, I used to be like, man, look at me. I can, I can handle it. I'm like the calm, I'm the eye of the hurricane. Right. And I really was, I managed a team of 30 people and the whole thing could be falling apart around me. And I'd be like the calm person because that's what I had to be. I had to be the manager. I couldn't show my emotions. But I think that all of that is still affecting us and we're just unaware of it. But I became aware of it after that. And then I noticed that like, holy smokes, it's not okay for me to let this continue. I can't put myself in this position anymore. And it was, it is interesting. John, have you ever um, like abstained from 
a vice, you know, sugar, maybe you detox from sugar or something. Have you ever like taken a break from something? Yes. Like sugar yes. or. Yeah. yeah I've uh, done it. Know... Yeah. I was yeah say, I've done a few things. Like, I mean, uh, uh, when I was younger, I was uh, starting to show uh, symptoms of being a, an alcoholic. I didn't actually get there. I caught myself before it was too late. And it was just by pure fluke. I just remember one time I, like I, I worked in the nightclub business when I was younger. And I remember I woke up and I woke up at like 11 o'clock and I was calling around. I'm like, hey, who wants to go for beers? You know what I mean? And I just spent the last three days working in the nightclub where I spent three days drinking. And I thought to myself, I wake up at 11 o'clock by 1130. I'm looking to go get beers. And I thought something's not right here. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to skip the beers. I'm not going to drink it. And I found myself constantly thinking about it throughout the day. It's like I couldn't get it off my mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I realized, oh, this isn't good, right? So yeah. I, I, I cut myself cold turkey, and that is not easy, like you said. Like, it's one of those things, you're, you're, your mind's constantly there. It's true. Did you ever go back and, like, have a beer later, like, with a friend? And did you ever, like, notice, like, you notice that after you have abstained for a while, when you go back, it's one beer has the effect of three. You know, it's like yeah. way more potent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden you want it again. It's not like a one beer. It's like now all of a sudden you want it again. And it's like, yeah. it's happened like that with sweets. I, I, I go even with, uh, like I said, like chocolate, sweets, whatever. I can literally spend the next year and not have one single sweet and it won't mm-hmm. bother me. But the minute I have one piece of cake, next thing you know, I'm eating junk all day. Well, you know, it's funny. You're reminding me of, um, have you ever read the book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy? My favorite book. Literally. My favorite book too. We have something in common. I've read it five times. I love that book. Not only did I read it like so many times as well, I might've read it five times. I've listened to audio CD. I actually mm-hmm. did the exercise at the end where I gave it away to five people, but I actually gave it away to 10 people. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. That's, I love that book. And you just reminded me about that part where he talks about like, I decide that I'm in control of my vices. So like every year he cuts them all off just to prove to himself that he's in control. And I love that. And I do the same thing. So, I mean, that takes some mental strength for sure. Um, But you know, that's the same with stress, John. It's just, it's just the difference is that stress isn't a physical thing that we can visibly see with our eyes. Right. So like, it's easy to say, okay, I've got sugar in front of me or a beer or whatever the case may be. It's easy to push that aside. But when it comes to stress, our tolerance and our threshold builds, you know, subtly. And if we abstain from it, like I did for that year, all of a sudden our, our threshold for that reduces. And so triggers uh, impact us much more. And I would encourage everybody to just really acknowledge their ability to quote cope with stress and say to yourself like am i really coping or am i just working through it and can i reduce the amount of stress in my life like i have this guy that comes on my podcast he's been on there twice he lives in new uh, new zealand and i call him the automation king the man is a genius when it comes to passive income but he says he goes i, I don't like stress in my life i just don't let it in my life and he literally goes around coming up with business ideas that don't involve him in the business whatsoever because he doesn't want to deal with stress. That's his tolerance level. Like, you know, they say we we get out of life what we allow. And that's essentially what I'm saying, like with with our mindset and where we're going and like the, the future of our countries, you know, with the physical, mental illness on the rise, I think a lot of it is stress. And we're just not taking that moment to acknowledge that, yeah, okay, I could do something different and choose to do something different. Empower yourself to like actually dream and then make a chase after that dream earlier rather than waiting until you retire. Well, here's the thing, right? I mean, like you said, it's like just getting rid of stress. Um, Can you teach me how? Mm -hmm. My mind runs a mile a minute, every minute of every day it's like i don't have an off button and it's not even related to real estate because i can turn that off believe it or not but i cannot turn my mind off sometimes you know i'm I lie at night and i'm just like staring into this you know space don't even know what i'm looking at and just like thousand uh you know thousand uh, ideas going on and on and on and on and on and on mm-hmm. and uh funny story last week i called a buddy of mine and we were talking and say, hey, how are you? And I'm like, I'm stressed. He goes, 
Is there a time you're not stressed? I actually had to think about that. You know what I mean? I was like sitting there going, he's got a good point. Now this can't be good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I think that's my answer to every time he asks me that. And I think that's why he called it out. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, wow. You know what I mean? Like I, that was like, I'm usually a guy who's pretty self-aware and that was, that caught me off guard. So. Yeah. I think that's the hardest part about it is like you just said, sometimes you're just unaware of it. And I think even I was unaware of the toll it was taking. I I've had that sixth sense that just kind of said, there's something going on here. Obviously I was more inclined to be aware of something like that. My mom died of a heart attack at 38, you know? So I wasn't really interested in creating a life for myself that ended like that, especially with four kids. Um, and so for me, I was definitely much more in tune with my body in that sense. And I was less tolerant of making it my normal. I wasn't willing to do that. In fact, oh my gosh, there was this one time the general manager found out that I was trying to build a business in the side, in the side, cause I've been doing some YouTube videos and one of my team members found it and sent it to him anonymously where I was talking about essentially getting out of my career. Like that was my passion. Like I was working towards my future and he called me up to his office. He called me right out and I looked at him and of course I just said, well, you know, nothing I did is on company time. There's no crime here and you can't fire me for thinking about leaving my job. <laughs> Those are all the facts. But he said, you know, Lindsay, we value you. And they really did. I mean, it was a great company. He said, and we just, I'd love to be working with you in the next 20 years. Like I want to retire with you. And when he said those words to me, I can't explain it. It was like my stomach turned. I'm like, oh, 100%. I couldn't see myself here 20 years. <laughs> like, no. And I just tried to do my best to keep that straight face. Cause I didn't have my plan worked out yet. Like I was still in the beginning stages. So I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, let me get out of here so I can go sweat somewhere else. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can imagine (laughs) that feeling. I, I, you know what? Being honest, not to cut you off, I apologize for that, but I can, I can one hundred percent relate to that. I, I I can imagine. You tell me if I'm wrong. It's when, when he said that, it's almost like your heart just sank. You know what I mean? Like, like in shock, like, like you're like disgusted and don't know what to do with yourself. And it's like, it's like somebody took your dreams, threw it in the garbage, and and it's like, yeah, you. Don't want to agree with the person, but at the same time, you don't really want to uh, create conflict over it either. So you kind of feel like stuck and don't know what to say. Yeah, I wasn't ready to walk away yet. So I definitely needed to get my duck. But I knew right then I better get them in a row quick because (laughs) I get my ducks in a row quick because (laughs) I can't stick around here. Like it was another confirmation for me that it's time, you know, I have to make this change. It was weird. And I think that's something else. Like when we have built ourselves up, like with a, a established real estate practice, right? Maybe we we're doing really well. We're financially comfortable. Life seems to be okay. And that to me was the problem. Everything was just okay. I wasn't I wasn't hurting. I wasn't in a miserable place other than missing my kids. But financially, I was in a great place. We had a beautiful home. My kids, we lived in a good neighborhood. Like things were good. We could take our vacations. We could afford the little extras, all of that. But I wasn't okay with just being okay. Um, so you know what? I found my way out. We we moved in 2018. And, through, and, and, and from that point on until now, I'd been on this journey of learning more about passive income. I knew about real estate from a rental income perspective. Um, one of the hangups that we had at that time, because when we moved, my husband had been a real estate investor and we owned some property in Arizona and land in various places. Land was not passive, obviously, but the, the condo that we had at the time was. And what we were looking at was branching out into real estate, into other markets. And that was something that was scary for me because I hadn't been, you know, a a flipper like he was, he, he was really the real estate brains. He lost everything in the crash. So unfortunately his enthusiasm for real estate went with it. Mm -hmm. And it was like really hard for him to get his heart back into it. And then on top of that, to have to learn how to find deals in another state was a new experience for him. So we kind of just tabled real estate at the time. Plus, you know, it was it was like we would rather buy like most investors. You want to buy when the market is 
low, Challenging. right? And, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't, not that it wasn't, there wasn't deals out there to be had. You just had to find them. They were much harder. And we just didn't want to dedicate that much time to doing that. So we just decided to look at other avenues. And when the market does go back down again, deals are a little easier to come by. We'll pick up more rentals. And like, that's our plan, right? That's kind of our five-year plan. But essentially in the meantime, I was like, there's got to be another way because I see people doing it online all the time. And I know this is possible. So I started my podcast, the Passive Income Examiner in 2019. And it was a brainchild. I remember I was outside one day thinking, there's got to be a better way. I just don't want to spend hours and hours researching, trying to find out what's right, and having to just trust that the information I'm getting from some guru online is going to be the right information. Like, how do I know for sure, you know, kind of thing. And I mm -hmm. thought, I just wish I could interview these people and pick their brain and really just find out what's up. Uh, I love to connect with people. So for me, that's my best way of learning anyway. And I thought, oh, I'll do a YouTube channel. But then I was like, no, I don't want to edit video. <laughs> And I can't even tell you, like, all of a sudden, it was, I'm telling you, it was like a voice outside of me was just like, start a podcast. I was like, oh, I could start a podcast. <laughs> you know, it was hilarious. And what's really funny is I didn't listen to podcasts and I wasn't into podcasts. And then within six months from that moment, I had a podcast. It was crazy. Um, and I love it. I love podcasting. It's totally my style. It's so fun for me. My favorite part is meeting people. This is like literally my favorite part right here. <laughs> well, there we go. That, 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 that's that's the best part of it, right? You get to meet <laughs> yeah. people that you would have normally never came across. It's so true. And I've met some of the most incredible people like that that, that are well, thank you. excited <laughs> to talk to me. Yeah, well, you're one of them. <laughs> I mean, it's so true. I, I really count these people. And the cool thing about podcasting is everyone's so chill. You know, they're just willing to just jump on and chat. And some of the, the people I've talked to, I mean, are people that I would never in my life have ever reached out to. Like, here's an example, a guy on my podcast, Brendan Kane, who wrote the book, One Million Followers. This guy, the last thing he needed was to be on my podcast. Like in my mind, that's what I was thinking, right? I was like, this guy could do whatever he wants. He has a million followers on Instagram. He works in the movie industry, in the film industry. He's connected. Like, he doesn't need my podcast to further his book sales. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I reached out to him and he said yes. And I was like a kid in a candy store talking to him. You know, it's funny, but it's been really fun. But passive income is something that I've learned about. And what was crazy is I learned while listening to these people that I had the skill set already based on my experience in the car business because I was the internet sales director. So I already understood internet marketing without even knowing I had known that. You know what I mean? It was funny that I had that skill. I learned it in the car business. I didn't officially go to school for it. I didn't, you know, go get a marketing degree. In fact, I had a full ride scholarship. Um, to, I was going to be a psychology major. And then I started working in the, in the car business and started making so much money. I'm like, oh, what am I doing here? You know, like, I'll never make this kind of money as a psychologist. So I, I just went and did the car business full time. And it turned out to be an amazing way to get an education because I got paid to learn and I learned sales and I learned marketing and I learned people skills and negotiation. And like the list goes on all the stuff I learned in the 20 years I was there. But one of the things I learned that I didn't even recognize was a skill was how to set up funnels, how to set up tech. And that's the thing that holds up so many people when it comes to making passive income online is the, com is the computer, you know, like having to learn new systems and knowing which one's right and having to navigate that. For some reason, that stuff comes easily to me because of my experience. So that's been an interesting little side nugget that I learned along the way. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got here. But you mean the computer doesn't do it for you? <laughs> right. Oh, so you know what? In my past business, I was in the marketing business. And um, sometimes I would, uh, you know, tell a person what the cost is and they'd be all freaked out. And I'm like sitting there going like, you know, it takes hours of work. Oh, the computer does it. And it's like, yeah, okay. If the computer <laughs> does it, then you know what? Don't hire me. Go and buy yourself a computer and just talk to it. Tell it to do it. 
Oh man, no. like I, I tell you, some of the things we come across, but yeah, that's amazing that you're able to recognize, you know, your talents like that. Well, and I think that's something that a lot of people have a gift. It's part of what keeps them stuck is they feel like they don't have anything that can get them outside of that. But I didn't, you know, at first until I really got knee deep into it, started talking to people and I thought I could do this. This isn't this hard. You know, I understand marketing. I'm very good with words like, okay, I got this. (laughs) Oh, you know, and what about this? Like we were going to talk about the state of the economy and kind of things that are going on. You mentioned that um, Canada raised the rates and I know the U.S. did too. And and let's kind of talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um. In terms of that, uh, Canada just announced a 1% increase. Wow. Yeah. Like that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I made a joke with my colleagues and said, you know, I saw that 1%. I said, great. What's your second career going to be? <laughs> and everyone's laughing, right? Like, but it's kind of crazy, right? Like this is, um, my problem isn't the uh, interest rates going up because that's expected. Like interest rates going down all the time. There's only so far they can go down and it's only so long it could last. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, the, the, if you couldn't anticipate that the interest rates were going up, the problem is you. So, but with that being said, is that it's not so much like going up, but the rate they're going up and the speed, right? Like it's, I know they're trying to combat inflation, yeah. but I find the biggest problem here is the, the inflation has nothing to do with the housing. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to do with the supply chain. Now, Essentially, by trying to annihilate the housing industry, you're not solving the housing problem. And yes, we still have a housing problem. And I think this is just beyond Canada, whereas we have not enough houses for the amount of people that need to move. Mm -hmm. As we let more immigrants into the country, as children start leaving their parents' basements and start getting onto their own lives and their own careers and more students going to the university and colleges that are going on campus. So we need more student rentals. And when you start adding all that stuff up, there's just not enough inventory out there to accommodate it all. So this is one of those times that the housing is now strained and a time when there's not enough housing. It's probably one of the only times that I'm aware of where the house market has prices dropping while the need for it is at its all-time high. Mm, interesting obser- observation and true. It's true here too. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. And um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be curious to see what the fallout on this is going to be. Right. Well, and the other thing that I was thinking about on that note is what the effect of that, the psychological effect of that is on buyers and people who want to leave, you know, and maybe move. It's, it's, um, we saw in the car business too. Anytime there was major economic changes like that, everybody just goes into a holding pattern. Yes. They don't, they're not going to list their house because that would mean they would have to move. Um, they're not going to try to buy a house unless they have to, right? Like they really have to. Uh, so it definitely puts everybody on edge. It makes it so much harder to move inventory and it slows everything down. And it's it's scary for the buyers and the sellers. And then it's scary for all the people related to the transaction. Right. Like I'm going to tell anybody, if you want to sell your house now, expect it to take two months to two wow. and a half months for people to actually to get any offers. Mm-hmm. And we've already been seeing the signs. Like when we had that nutsness from COVID, you know, the lockdown and people were buying houses, like homes would sell in like in four hours. Yeah. Right. Which was crazy, ridiculous. You know what I mean? If your home went lasted longer than seven days, then whoever the hell you hired as your realtor was screwed up. Mm-hmm. Right. So, cause, cause there's no home that was priced right or priced to sell or even marketed right that would last more than seven days. Now, with that being said, now today we can't even get more than four people to show up to see the house in like eight days or nine days. Wow. Right. I've, I've talked to colleagues where they've said they've, they've been on the market for 14 days and I had one person come through the house and you know what I mean? Like price reduction or, you know, new price. That seems to be the common word. And then it still doesn't sell. So now the problem is also sellers got so used to 
that seven day uh, turnaround. Mm -hmm. And now that it's taken longer, it's like, oh my God, my house has been on the market for 10 days and nobody's put in an offer. Yeah, that was normal about three years ago. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like I was you know, not the showings is where you really see what we were talking about earlier with everyone standing on the sidelines watching. Mm -hmm. Because even though three years ago, you wouldn't see homes sell in seven days, you'd see them sell in 25 days, 30 days. The amount of interest and the amount of buyers going through the homes was still there. Right. Where you're not seeing the uh, showings today. So, well, and think about this. This is reminding me so much of 08, you know, 07, 06, somewhere in there, right before the, the crash. It was leading up to that, you know, that transition. And then everybody in the market who was there back then, they're all seeing the signs too, you know? So there's this like holding your breath moment, waiting to see, like you said, you know, waiting to see what happens. Is it going to, are we going to go through another thing like we did then? Or what, what are we doing? <laughs> Everybody wants to know where's the crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here, here it is. I found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, that'd be so nice because you know, they, historically they say it takes three to four years for the housing market to come down, but then there's always that um, potential for it to happen drastically and overnight and feeling like it's overnight. I yeah. mean, this is where I was going to like when, like this happened in 2018. Now this is where Canada and the U S are going to differentiate. Now, 2008, you keep referencing because you're in the American side. We did not feel it at oh, all. Interesting. Right. We had a two week or three week blip. We're going, people are going, <gasps> Are we going to go through this? And we didn't. After the three week of holy crap, we just went back to normal like it didn't happen. Hmm. Um, but where we did feel it, and things have been so fast, most people in Canada don't even realize it. We had an official crash. February 2018 was our official crash. But what had happened, I'll give you an example. I'm going to use fictitious numbers because I don't have them prepared and I don't remember what they were. But I'll give you an example. Pretend the, the, the market went nuts in 2016, 17. We don't pretend that it did go nuts. Not pretending. It did go nuts. 2016 <laughs> and 17. And by 2018, the, uh, the government had made so many strides to try to slow it down. And they didn't give their tactics enough time to actually work. Mm -hmm. So come February 2018, it almost like uh, went into hyperdrive. And we hit a crash. So pretend 2017, your average home price went up to about $1.5 million from 1.1, we'll say. Okay. So what ended up happening is that come 2018, you couldn't sell the house for more than 1.15 or 1.2. Now, technically by standards, 20%, that's considered a crash. Mm -hmm. But people didn't notice that because they didn't notice it going, because it happened so quickly they didn't notice the rise to 1.5, then back down to 1.2. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right? It was mm -hmm. just too quick because even the recovery mm -hmm. was almost instant. February 2018 was the official crash. By June 2018, we were already back on the rise again. Now, did you guys have regulations in your mortgage industry? Like you didn't have, like, see, what part of the problem was in the U.S. was the no-doc loans and the variable interest rates and all of that. And this is where I was going. And this is where the actual changes and why we didn't feel the effects that you guys did. Because um, that was one of the changes the government made. So here, I'll tell you a few of the changes. One is they introduced what's called a stress test. So even though we're applying for a mortgage at a uh, rate of 2.9, you actually had to get approved as if the interest rates were 5.25. Oh. So you're actually getting your approval is coming on based on two to two and a half percentage points higher than whatever rate you're getting, which is how the government knows by them raising the interest rates now that you're not going to lose your home because they approved you on the higher interest rate. Gotcha. Now, if you were one of the dummies that went out and got a car loan after you got the mortgage, well, the government can help you that they base the approval based on <laughs> what you had at that time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, Hey, it is what it is, but with that being said, so that's one of the things, the stress test. So that uh, obviously that lowered the approval rates, not the amount of approvals, but the amounts. So if you got approved before the stress test, if you got approved for 800,000, after the stress test, you might only get 600. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the changes. The second thing that was put into place, um, 
your uh for example when your your homes get repossessed it isn't the same way as okay. ours now for example you have a home you just say your mortgage is two hundred thousand dollars and um the bank repossesses your home because you're not making payments, they can literally sell it for 220000 or at least they could back then. I don't know if it's still the same now. Mm-hmm. But um, in Canada, that is not true. Oh, okay. They had changed the rules, so now the banks are forced to sell it at market rate. So, yes, right. the market rate today is going to be different than what it was six months ago before all this. Now, I'll give you an example. Again, we're going to use that one5 now the market rate might might be one point two. Now, if your mortgage is still only two hundred thousand, they have to sell it for the one point two. No choice. Yeah. Right now, what happens here is if they get the one point two, they're allowed to charge their admin fees, which could be up to fifty k. So they get their two hundred k. They got to get all the bills they have to pay while they're trying to sell it because they end up paying all the bills, the taxes, everything. So go figure. You stop making payments, your house gets repossessed, but the government still gets their taxes. Right. How ironic, eh? The utility <laughs> company still get, gets paid too, mm-hmm. right? So the banks end up paying that while they're trying to sell it. Right. Now, when they try to sell it and they get the 1.2 offer, now Bob Smith offered 1.2 in your home, the banks can't just say it because now you get first dibs. If you can afford to buy it back, you get first dibs to get it back. So even though there's an agreement there. Interesting. Right? And... um if you can't, which most likely you can't, because if you could have done that before the banks got to the seller, you would have gone back and say, I can take my home back. Right. Right. But now just say that happens. So now that deal gets approved. They get the 1.2. The bank takes the 200000 Plus, we'll say they spent $20,000 over six months for your uh, property taxes that they paid the utilities and all that crap. Plus, they're going to get their $50,000 fee. So now they're taking the two seventy out. They have to write you the check for the balance. Are serious? Yeah. Wow. So is there even any like negative to the homeowner as far as like, does it get put on their, obviously I'm assuming. Like, oh, they're going to have no credit, credit then. Nobody will loan them anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be surprised even at that point, the credit cards are gone. Oh, wow. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Interesting. It's, um, the downside also is the fact that, um, okay, you lose all your credit. The ability to get anything is done. Even our rentals now. They check your credit rating. Mm-hmm. And if you have less than 700, it's near impossible to find a, re- a rental. Wow. Right? So, yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, on top of that, uh, so you go through all that. You lost a lot of money because look how much you paid down just on the example I gave you. That's mm-hmm. not a, you know, like if you could have sold it yourself, you would have been better off. But a lot of times right. people wait and say, you know, this is going to happen. I'll get out of it and I'll catch up. And by the time they realize they're not catching up, it's too late. Right. Yeah. Um, there was another downside I was going to mention, but I kind of forgot what it was. That's all right. I have a question though. If, if that, if that is true, like, uh, obviously it's true. I'm not questioning that, but what I mean is why do you, are you concerned that the Canadian economy is going into a downturn? Like it seems to me like the government has done a pretty good job of mitigating these crashes in the past, or at least making them not hurt so bad, so to speak. What do you think is going to be different coming up? Well, we're already in a recession. Nobody's calling it. Um, when the GDP is down two quarters in a row, which has already been proven to happen, it's a really official um, recession. Mm-hmm. I think that everyone's holding off calling it because you guys got an election coming up. Yeah. Why right? Is it? And, yeah. And, and, and no, honestly, because the minute the country start calling recessions, they're going to blame whoever's in power right now. Mm-hmm. And right now, Joe Biden's losing popularity as it is. Yep. And I don't think he wants to call that because they're just going to blame him and say, see, we should have kept Trump. Now, I think in this case, well, nobody wanted Trump, but that's not the point. They would have just preferred it. Right. right. Now, but, but, but my point I'm getting at is I shouldn't say nobody wanted Trump. I actually like the guy, but that's besides the point. It's not really a political. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? I hear you. <laughs> you know, so um, but the point I'm getting at is people just by default, they're going to blame him because when Trump was in, the economy was good. So it's going to be all Joe Biden's fault. Whether it is or isn't is another story, Mm -hmm. but people have to blame something. They can't just say this is the times. So you don't want to call a recession when a vote is coming up. So my prediction is the vote's going to come up and then almost immediately we're in a recession. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is going to happen there. Now, our local cities are having an election at the same time. 
Okay. Right. So that might be the reason we're holding off, but I think it's just widespread there. Everyone's just pausing to not screw mm-hmm. up the American election. Yeah, yeah. That's my op- opinion. I don't know that for a fact. Well, and I think this time around, there's more imp- impacting it even than just housing and interest rates. Yes. You know, yes. Food, food and food prices. Yes. When people can't eat, what I mean, that's when all heck breaks loose. You right. know what I mean? So right. I think that's going to play into it. And then, of course, they are maxing themselves out on their housing budget, maybe in the U.S. more so than in Canada, because they have that tests, like you said, but it, it seems like in the US, it's kind of a common thing. Let's just go all in on as much house as we can get. <laughs> you know, well, the no, they do that here too. It's just oh, that okay. we're capped on how much our how much we can get is just a little bit more capped, but we, we okay. they still do it. Okay, um, okay. At the same time here, like going to what you said, the supply chain is in ruins. Mm-hmm. The, um, the supply chain, the gas, and that's where I think the other blame is going, right? Because we if we had the uh, Oh, what's that word that uh, he, Joe Biden cut it out when he got into office? Like we're because we have the ga- we have gas supply, we have lots of gas, right, like the natural resource. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was some sort of pipe going underneath that. I forgot what it was called. Now Biden cut out the pipe. Now the point I'm getting at is he cut out that uh, cut it out, which made us more uh, dependent on foreign oil. Right. And now that we're dependent on foreign oil, and we have a war. Guess what? There's a mm-hmm. shortage. Had yeah. that cut not been done, we might have been self-sufficient. Right. Right. So, and again, I just pointed the finger at him, and that's not my intent. Sure. But I'm I saying understand. that's a yeah. factor, right? Yeah. It's yes. one factor. Um, again, supply chain is a major thing. We had all these lockdowns with COVID. Um, they kept lowering the interest rate during COVID to, and printing more money. Mm-hmm. That 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 didn't that's help. A big problem, right? But, yeah. yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of it was needed. How can Mm -hmm. you tell a person, don't go to work? Well, how do I pay my bills? Well, too bad. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't work. People are going to (laughs) go to work no matter what you say, if that's Mm -hmm. the the outcome. So they had to do something. So again, there's no simple fix. There's no easy answer. Um, And again, it goes back to what you said. There's more than one factor. Um, Mm -hmm. People are starting to get the, the layoffs are starting to happen. Um, mm. some people have overexpanded too quickly. You can't get people to go to work. Um, some of it is good for them. Like, now, honestly, is that more in Canada? Like getting people to go to work? Cause I don't, oh, that's, 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 that's everywhere. You can't get enough it? time. Yeah. Um, you might not have it as much as us. And again, it also depends on what level of job. And I'll give you an example. Uh, most of it is going to be the bottom wage jobs most of it right and i don't blame them what happened is covid hit government was throwing money out everywhere people had time off and i think many many people decided that since i have the time off right now why don't i look at what i like doing try to chase my dreams try creating my own business try doing my own thing since i can't go to work anyways Mm -hmm. i might as well do it now some people succeeded and they're not going back to work. Some people are hopeful and have enough credit that they can wing it. And they're going to keep going until they try to succeed. They're not going back to work. And some people are going, oh, God, thank God I'm back to work because this payment I was getting just doesn't cut it. Right. Now, where the fault is, I don't blame the shutdown. I don't blame the government wage. You know what? The reality is all these companies that spent all these years trying to pay their employees nothing and race to the bottom to the point that they can beat them down so they can't even survive with what they're getting paid. And every time there's a, there's a, you know, something that changes, they cut their hours. So at minimum wage, you can't pay your bills even if you work full hours. Now you start cutting people's hours on top of that. Mm-hmm. What do you expect them to do? What do you expect? How do you expect them to feel? So now the time they have the opportunity to take the money they've been given with the government and create their own thing. And you call them back and they just say, screw you. And now, right. oh, I can't get people to work. No crap. All these years of abusing them. And now they're not interested in coming back. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, you want to attract workers. You do what Edmonton did. You go to a Tim Hortons, which will be like your Dunkin' Donuts. And you get, I think it's Edmonton. It's one of the, one of the places they pay $23 an hour as minimum wage at the donut shop. Jeez. Guess what though? 
they got workers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people are just not going to take below wage payments anymore and put up with that. Like, let's be honest. If my bills are $2,000 a month and you're offering me $1,500 a week, whether I'm short $500 a month or I'm short $1,000 a month, what the heck is the difference? I might right. as well be short and try to do something on my own and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Like, mm-hmm. Again, there's got to be balance there, but people are not going to be anxious for this. And that's not the only reason. There's other things. Like I said, sometimes people found better opportunity. Some people took education while they were off and now they're taking those higher level jobs that are paying better. Mm-hmm. And what's not being replaced? The lower end jobs. A lot of people pivoted too during that See? time. Like the, I, that, I did some research on that. Yeah, they did. <laughs> well, I know, and I hear what you're saying. A lot of them pivoted into working for themselves, but there was a lot too that just pivoted into a whole new career field altogether. Like right, so and that's what I'm know. saying, right? Because yeah. other jobs opened up, other career opportunities opened up. Some as a result. Look, we're on Zoom or we're on Streamyard now. None of the stuff existed before. Well, Zoom existed, but Streamyard didn't. You know what I mean? Like, like a lot of the stuff, and most people, even with Zoom, didn't know what Zoom was until. Yeah, you know it wasn't what I mean? Like, <laughs> and that's my point, though. But now this is becoming normal. Yeah, so that you make when, a good point. There's more options available than there was before, and even mm-hmm. let's, let's say I just attacked one wage. But even if I got paid the same damn crap wage we're talking about, but I got paid that crap wage to sit at home in front of my computer and sit here on Zoom or Streamyard or whatever, or go work somewhere where I'm labor intensive, being ordered around, being bossed around, which one do you think I want to do? Right. Definitely. Yeah. Well, John, you make a good point. And I think you're, you know, I think, I think what we're going to go through is just almost a byproduct of, of partly of COVID. And I think also just a general market correction, but they're going to kind of happen coinciding, which is may make it worse than what most people are expecting unfortunately right so what what i thought uh, my point i was getting at before with the whole economic when we were talking yeah i agree with that they have to do something i'm not saying that the correction is inevitable i'm saying that they're i think that the speed they're trying to push it is maybe a little too fast for people to keep up Mm -hmm. and it's going to cause a bit of a shock Mm -hmm. that makes sense i can totally see what you're saying. I think it's important. I'm grateful we're having this conversation because like you said early before we, you know, ever got on the recording, a lot of people are unaware and that's the problem. And then it's going to blindside them. So thankfully, you know, we're, we're talking about it. Hopefully people are listening. They could take some action. You know, even if, if they only wanted to start something on the side could dedicate, I started my little side hustle that's turned into my full-time gig with five hours a week. That's what I did. Sometimes even less than that, depending on the week. But I I was pretty consistent recording a podcast once a week, getting it out there, doing little things, you know, and I started kind of got that ball rolling, <laughs> you know, exactly. till I really kind of figured out what I'm doing. But now what I'm seeing is a lot of people and, and let's talk about those people that you, you just mentioned who left and they're just trying to wing it and figure it out. A lot of times if they were making, you know, say $1,500 a month, that's a pretty reasonable minimum wage number to, to focus on. Um, You know, they were trying to just replace their income and that can feel really overwhelming. And to build a side business that makes you $1,500 a month consistently does not happen in, I mean, it happens for some people, let's be honest. Like some people get really lucky at it, but for the most part, that's not the case. There's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of, oopsies and there's a lot of well that didn't work and refining that's what i like to call it it's just refining you learn from what you did you, you reevaluate you reassess you keep moving forward but if you can't get it done in that six month window or you're just barely close to it what are you going to do well maybe instead of trying to do passive income maybe you do something like uh freelancing you know a lot of people moved into like becoming a va or a social yes. media manager or something yes. like that and that's a need but you're still trading time for money. I mean, I'll be honest. That's how I was able to transition. Cause right after COVID I, w- I was working for a log home company. When we first moved up here, I had to, after that first year I took off, I ended up working for a company that builds beautiful log log homes. Okay. And it was a great little gig. I thought this is comfortable. I'm very peaceful here. I like to be in the office. I kind of did my own thing. It's a small town, so I could be with my kids. They were family-oriented. I could leave when I needed to. It was very amazing. It was like a a dream job, right? But 
COVID came and I was then working eight hour days, coming home, homeschooling my kids because they were schooling at home, if you could even call it that, <laughs> for one hour or two a day. On the weekends, still working my business because I, you know, still wanted to develop that passive income. I was still curious and go. I never stopped hungering for that mission. But in the end, it was ridiculous. There was no way that was sustainable. And so when we chose to go back to school in uh, 2019, no, 2021, rather, sorry, got my years mixed up. Happens. I looked at my boss and I said, I can't do this. I can't. I wish I could. I love working here. And I actually turned them into a client rather than an employer. See opportunity. Yep. I said, I'll work for you, but I'm going to start my own marketing company and let me just handle your marketing. Cause I did their office manager and bookkeeping and everything. I said, find somebody to do that. Let me do this. And I had to find a balance because the schools were talking about this thing. Well, COVID numbers rise and we're going back to at-home learning. And I thought, holy heck, don't do that to me again. I mean, I had three kids in school. That was a lot to deal with. So I was like, I'd rather just homeschool and come up with my own curriculum and be in charge of all of this. So I did. And that's how I did it. And I think that's what a lot of people did. But even still, even after I did that, I was aware of the fact that I'm like, I'm still dedicated. I'm still owing my time to somebody, right? I was cognizant of that the entire time. This goes back to what I was talking about, about that threshold early on is it's interesting when I look back at my life and I look at like, I was this happy, dedicated employee, you know, drinking the (laughs) Kool-Aid for my paycheck (laughs) every week. Right. And I was so loyal and dedicated. I, uh, let me tell you how loyal I was after my first son was born. I went back to work the next day because payroll was due. That's how dedicated I was. That's how immersed in working for somebody else I was. Fast forward to, that was 2008, actually, ironically, when he was born. You know, fast forward to now, there's no way. I I, I just, my, my tolerance for that has reduced so much. It's like slowly getting myself away from that worker bee mindset. It doesn't happen overnight. And sometimes it can't happen overnight, especially when you're the primary income earner, you're, you're accustomed to making a certain living. You have to find balance, focus on balance. That's what I always try to say is like, just focus on following your heart, keeping your end goal in mind. Like I've continued to persevere and continue to build up my side businesses. And that's what taught me. That's what led me to creating this, this, um, membership is helping people wean themselves off of that that mindset, so to speak, and build up passive income through micro businesses. So this idea came to me, it's a little bit of the, it's a little bit of an investor mindset anyway. Like when you, when you being in real estate, you've probably met a lot of real estate investors. You might even be one yourself. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but you get to that point where you go, okay, this rental property is covering I'm, I'm going to find an asset to cover, to offset these debts, right? It's that same psychology, but it isn't the mindset that most people have. So when I say to people who are used to working that part-time job or that entry-level position, or heck, even CEOs of companies, but they're used to that regular paycheck, they're not really investors. They don't have that mindset. It's that psychology of saying, okay, let's find one little tiny business. And, and maybe it's like, in my case, it's like building a, a mini course or in my case, the membership where it's one little stream of income. And, and instead of trying to eat the whole watermelon at one time and pay $1,500 a month, let's focus on $150 a month. I know that sounds so tiny, but that covers a phone bill or a water bill. I don't know. You know, it's, it's going to cover something mm-hmm. and make that a win. Because I think one of the things that kills the mojo for most people when they try this is they get burnt out. They're spinning their wheels. They're like, Oh my gosh, I've been at this now for six months and I'm only making $500 a month. I really need to be making 1500 for it to make sense. Well, if your goal was to only make $200 a month, you'd be celebrating, right? And then you have that energy that just promotes more and more. And you go, wow, if I could do $200 with this little thing, I could do $200 with this one. Or maybe if I focus a little bit more in on how to refine my 
add marketing, I might do even more and do even better. So you either focus on those incremental growths. However, the reason I love micro businesses is because I'm all about diversifying, right? Especially as we move into a recession to really be recession proof. It is definitely now more than ever a good time to to look at building micro businesses that are a diverse system. So like, let me give you some examples of some things I do. Not all of these are online, but I have the, the membership is my online portal. I have courses that I offer online as well. But besides those digital assets, I also, uh, my husband and I just, just recently decided like we, I don't know if I told you, but when we moved up here, we got five acres and we're kind of living on a little mini farm. So we're yep. looking at ways that we can make our land profitable. And one of those ways is composting. Now, as odd as that may sound, part of going back to the supply chain that you're talking about, there is a scarcity of, of um, compost. Uh, what am I? Fertilizer. That's the word I'm trying to say. And locally and beyond people are, I don't know why it's a, it's a, my husband can tell you all about it. He, he does all this research. I'm just like, let's just figure out how we can make money. And he goes, there's going to be a shortage of fertilizer. And I'm like, how do you know that? And he tells me all of those things. And I'm like, okay, I'm convinced let's move forward in this direction. <laughs> and the thing about composting now, here's the really interesting part about it. Yes, we could take and build a huge pile of compost, but what we're doing is we're making compost tea, which is really disgusting if you think about what it's really, but it's effective for plants and then drying it into little packets uh, that people can just mix with water. So it's easy for shipping. It's easy to produce. I don't, it doesn't require a lot of manage and maintenance of flipping compost and getting a tractor. Although I will say my husband is very excited about the tractor. <laughs> None that idea, <laughs> that idea definitely is intriguing to him. And that's fine for him. He wants to do that. But I'm really more interested in the marketing side of it and the simplicity of it. Plus, we have four kids, so we got to keep them doing something. It's a business that we can have our kids involved in. So, you know, that's a micro business. Um, it's not something that I probably would see. Essentially, it, it maybe in a year from now, it could be paying all of our bills and taking care of us. It's very feasible that that could happen. But it's going to take a while to build. It's going to take at least a year before the compost is even ready to market, you know? So those are little things that people can do. There's ways to make money from your home. Uh, and they, and, and you don't have to just do it online, although online works, but it could be anything that you're passionate about or interested in. And it, it could be small. And you just simply, the, the key to it is this, it's about making a system systemizing it so that it's duplicatable and it's repetitive and you you hone in on the marketing so that you always are feeding your pipeline of buyers because the last thing you want to be doing is hustling your links right you don't want to be out there now you're trading time for selling your product right you want to have this kind of going on autopilot and that's what we talk about in the membership is is how to do that how to get that train going plus we have fun working you know collaborating with each other and making it so that, um, you know, we can like camaraderie. Oh, I'm making this micro business. This is my next focus. You know, this is my next one. I already have two that are in the pipeline. Now I'm working on my third, so on and so on. Right. And the idea again is to take that watermelon and just break it down to one bite at a time and be focusing on a positive energy. And if all you're doing in the beginning is making a little bit more than, than you need, that's okay. Eventually something is going to hit like wildfire and really take off. And that could become your next, your next thing. So this is the transition from that, you know, working for somebody feeling stuck in that rut to easing yourself into that freedom lifestyle, because it's kind of like people who win the lottery and how, you know, what do they say? Like within a year they've lost their money or some, there's some statistic about that. I think the same is true. If we, if we could wake up tomorrow and like just, be able to quit our job and we'd go stir crazy because like you said, you can't turn your brain off. Like it takes time to get you mentally into the frame of mind that you're okay with that relaxing. It took me a long time just to relax. I, I get what you're saying when you say that, like it took me a while to actually not feel guilty kayaking on the lake because I should be doing something that's income producing. 
Right. That's the thing, right? Like it's we're all different. Like I, I'm gonna say something in terms of balance. I don't believe that thing exists. Um, and what I mean by that is, I don't, I don't think there's a such thing as a work-life balance. I, I mean, balance is whatever you're happy with, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Like it's. I, I don't think you could just say, oh, you know, I got to work eight hours and then I'm gonna be home for eight hours and I'm gonna sleep for eight hours and that's balance. It's not for everybody. Because some people want that, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But then there's other people that, you know what? They might work 11 hours one day because they love what they're doing, and that's what they want to do. Then they might take, you know, 11 hours the next day to not work and have mm -hmm. that off and go on the beach or yeah, whatever the, they want. Yeah, but the key <laughs> is to be okay with that. And that's, I guess, what I'm saying is I agree with you. Everybody's balance is different. I don't think there's a set teeter-totter and you know it has to be equal but like what my balance was when I was working full-time was working 70 hour weeks and having two days off a weekend at first that was my balance and that was after when I was in the finance industry only getting four days off a month and working from like 8 a.m till midnight like that's what my schedule was like working in as a finance producer that was not okay so the next level was I found a position that afforded me to work Monday through Friday. I got every weekend off. And in the car business, that's saying something. And that was my balance. But my balance has evolved. That's kind of what I'm getting at is you have to know what is right for you. And it's going to be baby steps. Like what was good for me then is not good for me now. I learned that after working in the log home company when I was working eight to five again and even though I even told my boss, like, I want to take off early on Fridays because I need more time with my family. And he said, okay. So we, I would leave at noon on, on Friday and have like a two and a half day weekend. And even then that wasn't balanced for me at that time, because my, my threshold for my commitment to somebody else was, was changing. So I encourage people to find what that balance is for them. And then, it, and just know that it's going to change. But like you're, but exactly what you're saying, it's your happy threshold, right? It's your balance and happiness coincide and it will be different for everybody. So I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. I'm glad you did. But yeah, I think that's the important thing, but being able to have the freedom to look, if I was in a position where I was working eight to five, like for the log home company, and I, I knew my balance was to take off a little bit on Friday. Right. Cause I, I, and the way I expressed it to him was like, when I go home on the weekends, my weekend is filled with house cleaning and chores and gardening and whatever else. And I don't really find that I'm having time to just spend it with my kids on an adult, like nothing in my way. Right. Yep. But if I was so stuck on my paycheck, needing that every little minute of every day to get that money, I wouldn't have felt like I could have asked for that. Having passive income made me say, I get the freedom today to ask for what I need. Imagine that. Like, imagine if you had the money coming in. You know, I had a guy on my podcast, Dustin Heiner. He helps people with real estate build, um, use rental income to quit their job. One thing he said, he goes, I was working at a job. I, for I forgot what he did. He worked for the state of California or something like that. And he said, and every day I was showing up. And in the meantime, I built this passive income because he had a, a crisis moment where he had gotten fired. So it, it, he was like, I'm never going to rely on a company again, but he still liked what he did and he had to provide. So he started building up rental income in the meantime. Meanwhile, he was working one day, his rental income was a, like, he was equal. He was making enough money from his rentals as he was from his job. He kept going to his job. Until it just finally dawned on him. He's like, I don't have to work today. I don't have to go in because I actually could just survive with what I have going on over here. And it, it's that mindset shift that I think, you know, I just, I really like bringing awareness to that and helping people transition from working full time to being able to have the freedom to say, I could choose to work because I want to, or I could choose not to. You know? So that's the beauty of it. True. So I want to be respectful for your time. So I've got a couple more questions before I go into what's called the lightning round. Okay. Um, one is, how do you know you've had a successful day? 
That's a good question. I do best when I start out with an intention. I will set my intention to accomplish two to three things that day and I go about getting them done. Um, my, my second best is if I've dedicated time like to work on my business, maybe I didn't accomplish everything I wanted to, but I know I was 100% focused for the X number of minutes I wanted to. Usually I work in 90 minute increments. Then I will allow myself to feel satisfied with that. Fantastic. And lastly is, where do people find you if they want to get more information or just connect with you online? So the best way is the passiveincomeexaminer.com. You can learn about my podcast, learn about the membership, as well as there is a free resource for you if you're interested in learning more about passive income. There's five ways to legitimately earn $5,000 a month with passive income. I break down the numbers and how to do it. Um, if you're interested in that, you can just text the word PIE, P-I-E, to 33777 right now to get your copy, uh, or you can visit my website and get it there as well. Fantastic. Now to get into the lightning round and uh, just fun personal information. So question number one, I love to ask, what is your favorite food? I don't know. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> it changes by the day, like by the week. But I will say, uh, you know what? Artichokes. artichokes Sounds weird, okay. but I love artichokes. Interesting. Favorite <laughs> vacation spot? Oh, man, I live in the best vacation spot. I, I live here in North Idaho. We have lakes all over the place. Every weekend, we're at my favorite lake, Brush Lake. That's right. You live in the cabin. You lived in your dream. Yep. That's right. And favorite book? Probably The Compound Effect. I had a feeling you were going to yeah. say that. <laughs> um, favorite podcast, aside from your own and mine, of course. Oh, there are so many amazing podcasts. Um, lately, I've really been listening to Martin Ibungay's podcast, The Freedom Lifestyle. He's the guy I told you lives in New Zealand and is has been on my show a couple times. He's really good about helping me elevate my mindset to a new level of freedom. Like, it's, he's really helped me evolve. So I just enjoyed that. Makes sense. Now, if you had unlimited cash, unlimited time, unlimited everything, and you had a reset button where you can go and do whatever you want and anything you want, no restrictions, what would that be? Well, I would definitely travel. Uh, well, I might wait until COVID settles down and all this craziness, but I would travel a lot more, but I would still do what I do. I really enjoy it. I really believe that I'm here to make a difference in people's lives and that God has inspired me and given me the, the tools and resources and training that I've learned through the years for a purpose. And I experienced not having to work for that year. And I'll tell you, I lost myself. I felt this calling like I'm here to do more. So I definitely would stay with what I'm doing, but I would just travel more with my kids, especially. Fantastic. Any last words to our listeners or viewers? You know, just thank you for being here. I would love to connect with you. Feel free to DM me, you know, on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I love to talk, chat with people there. If you have questions or, you know, want to just say, Hey, <laughs> it's at the, <laughs> at the passive income examiner. Um, so yeah, that's really what I have to say. I want to say thank you for being on the show. It was a uh, Great delight. It was a good conversation. I agree. It was definitely fun. I, I learned a lot. Well, I'm glad I did as well. Yeah. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure. If you like what you see and you want to see more podcasts, subscribe to the link below.